We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking running back risers and fallers on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We are two of the owners at Rotoviz. We are going to be talking about some running backs this evening, keeping it optimistic, Curtis, as you like to with those players on the rise. You just returned home from a massive victory in your son's baseball league. How are you doing? Yeah, man, the six and seven year olds. I uh, I I hung up the. Uh, the whistle uh, for soccer coaching for the summer, but I am still coaching uh, the little ones in, in baseball. So uh, coach pitch Hey, we we're an expansion squad. Dave, we're the youngest squad in the league, but boy, have these kids improved. Nice. So um, the deck, the deck totally stacked against us. Um, but we, we were a scrappy team, got the five seed out of eight teams, and we upset the four seed in the first round of the postseason tournament tonight. So the boys are riding high. Sponsor said he's buying pizza next week. It was a good night, man. It was a good night. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, unfortunately, we have more pressing things than six- to seven-year-old baseball to talk about, <laughs> or, or perhaps it's fortunate. I'm going to hit the sound drop, How and we're going to get into it. Okay. We have not talked about it yet on the show uh, as a breaking news segment or what have you, but it was something people saw coming for a while. Dalvin cook is no longer with the Minnesota Vikings. As a result, the players behind him become those very interesting options. As we head into the year, uh, into the season, unsurprisingly, Curtis, we see Alexander Madison and Ty Chandler skyrocket in ADP, Madison going up about 42 picks over the last 30 days. You have Ty Chandler going up around, uh, I think it's like 37 picks, uh, depending on how you filter things. In that Minnesota backfield, I guess from a high level, uh, does this feel like an overcorrection? Kind of where's your head at? I know you have some stats here uh, that you wanted to share with us. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tricky because... I mean, the Minnesota Vikings are, you know, they're a pretty fun offense, right? I mean, um, they've got the superstar appeal. 
Um, they've got a quarterback that's more of a distributor, not really stealing the stats from the backfield. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely an offense that we're targeting. I mean, Kirk Cousins is a perennial late-round value at quarterback. Justin Jefferson's probably the safest pick in all of fantasy football, and then maybe Travis Kelsey. And then, you know, that running back uh, position, you know, it's been – probably overdrafted over the past couple of years, just because of how good Dalvin um, cook was at his height. Um, you know, but he never really got in the mix for the type of ceiling that um, everyone uh, had always hoped for. So the interesting thing is, you know, with him getting out of there, I mean, I think there is a massive drop off in talent from cook to Madison and or Chandler here, but the volume's going to be there. And I'm just not so sure there's much of a difference between a player like Madison and maybe, you know, the Najee Harris's of the world at this point. Um, and, you know, you see Najee uh, settling in there in the end of the third round. Typically he's available at like that three, four turn um, and most best ball uh, draft formats and the tournament style best ball anyway um, at this point of the year. So, you know, there's, there is a lot of room for a player like Madison to run. I mean, he's currently after that 42 pick rise, I'm going to have to zoom in on my screen here because I've still got brick dust in my eyes. <laughs> from the baseball time. And hold on a second. Yep. Uh, it's re-rendering. It looks like, um, you know, yeah, he's, he's into round five now um, with this sharp spike over the last, you know, two weeks or so. Um, I'm looking at the FFPC best ball tourney here. Um, there's a little bit of a difference on where he's sitting in the, uh, and the underdog ADP, but you know, it, it, you know, it feels fair. I mean, he's kind of, you know, going to be a, a volume, you know, dependent option, but he's got a lot of touchdown upside uh, on this Minnesota squad. If you look at um, what cook, you know, did last year, 10 total touchdowns, um, Madison added six of his own. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about a situation where the top two running backs for the squad scored 16 touchdowns. And, you know, we don't know how that backfield will be split. You know, Cook had the lion's share here. Cook had 264 attempts last year. Madison with just um, 74 and no other running back had more than nine carries, Dave. So if Madison gets a true bell cow treatment like Cook, I mean, he's being massively underdrafted. Um, and even if they go with a 1A, 1B, you know, it would be a pretty big departure for them to to go with like a 60-40 or even a 70-30 split. It's just not really how um, this Viking squad has managed their backfield. Now, maybe that's what they want to get to, and maybe that's part of the premise of moving on from from Cook and, you know, just using players for, you know, their highest-end skills. But, yeah, I mean, I think that the Madison rise is totally justified in the context of this offense, even though he's not very good. Um, we don't necessarily care how good he is for fantasy purposes as long as he's appropriately priced. Now, the, the famous game splits app at Rotoviz shows us that in the six games that Madison had the backfield to himself, the Dalvin Cookless games over the last three years, he averaged Dave 20.38 PPR. So, I mean, that's high, good. That's high that's end, man. When, he, when he's been a bell cow, there hasn't been much of a difference from a fantasy perspective of the production between Madison and Cook. Um, definitely not as dynamic, not the, not the home run hitter that cook is, but he was still getting, you know, the production there, um, either way. So, you know, I, I, I would be fine with Madison running his ADP, you know, into the 36 to 44 range. You know, I think he belongs in that area with Najee 
uh, albeit Najee probably has more receiving upside than Madison if everything went right. So before we talk about Chandler, because that's that's a, definitely a way um, more wide open analysis there. I mean, where are you on Madison? So I will put it like this. If I sit down and I work out the situation in Minnesota, um, as I as I mentioned earlier this week, I've been working through the projections. Uh, I don't get into a scenario where I have Madison actually approaching even RB2 territory. And some of that's just because there's a lot of uncertainty there. But I do think if I'm drafting, I have him probably somewhere uh, in a tier, maybe a little bit behind Harris, for example. Now, one of the things that I will say factors into my analysis here is that I think that we've mentioned two running backs on Minnesota, but we haven't even mentioned the best running back there. I actually think there's a pretty decent chance that Dwayne McBride is the best running back on the team. Now, whether or not that gets discovered this season, um, and part of that is the playmaking ability, like we saw to some degree with Cook. Not saying I'm comparing him to Cook, but I think that might be one thing that separates him from Chandler and Madison. Uh, so there's no guarantee we see that, but I think it's a factor that has to play into some of my analysis here that prevents any of them from getting this outsized opportunity in my mind. Okay. Yeah. So, so, I mean, your, your bet is that that backfield is going to be diced up a lot more. Right. So, I mean, I mean, if that's your opinion, you know, you're, you're probably right at that price point or maybe even already approaching priced out yep. um, on Madison. And, and to be fair, you know, if he doesn't consolidate the work, he will end up being overdrafted versus guys that have similar opportunity to take over their backfields that have better um, receiving upside. So sure. some examples yep. of that would be like James Conner, um, you know, Antonio Gibson um, is heating up a little bit. You know, there's some players like that that are available, you know, maybe three plus full rounds later um, than Madison in this range. So if you don't think that Madison is going to end up you know, with cook-like treatment, workhorse treatment, then, you know, there's probably better picks there. But, you know, I think at least having, um, I think just being at predicted exposure to him um, feels right. Or if you just want to wait, you know, for those times that he's, you know, that he falls into the late, late fifth, early sixth, you know, he falls half round a little bit lower than ADP. Um, and you're still looking at that RB2, uh, slot on your best ball roster, you know, that might make some sense. Now, Ty Chandler, um, you know, seems to be the guy getting all of the press as the, as the RB2 right now. You know, I wish that he had a stronger track record of receiving work so we could really forecast him to have a, some sort of predicted role rather than just being like the complimentary back and not really knowing, does he get all the third downs? Does he get the four minute drill? All of that stuff. I mean, you know, Chandler didn't really break out until, you know, he's 23 year old senior post transfer yep. um, at, you know, North Carolina. It was his first season um, with more than 150 carries first thousand yard season. He never had more than 19 receptions in his college career. That being said, he did get, he did earn touches. Um, he earned 81 touches as an 18 year old at Tennessee. So he's involved early, but he just never really had the big role. So it's kind of hard to imagine him being more than a one B and actually like usurping Madison as the, the big time, um, you know, volume guy. So I think there's something there with McBride. Um, it's probably worth having some exposure to all three of these guys. It is a little bit uncertain how the Vikings will handle this backfield. And that is, you know, the type of situation that 
um, can be exploited uh, for massive upside, um, you know, and, and zero RB, hero RB type drafts that we're, you know, so beholden to here at Rotoviz. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the Minnesota backfield. It's interesting. It's very rare, I would think, that you would see two guys playing the same position on the same team be the top two risers over a 30-day period. I don't think I have um, ever seen this before. Uh, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is very rare. Uh, yeah. And it speaks to... The idea here that oftentimes when you have a big shakeup on a team, people assume that this creates this big opening that creates a, you know, outsized opportunity for certain players. But I would say it's rare uh, in the case of a superstar leaving that we see somebody fully able to grasp that. Despite, although I will say, I don't recall many recent uh, scenarios where you had the guy behind them with a game split quite like Madison. So in the case of Madison, I yeah. do get, I do yeah. get what's going on it's there. Like, it's like Pollard. I mean, it's like Pollard, yeah. you know, I mean, he's not as talented as Pollard nowhere near it, but it's like every time Tony Pollard got a chance, you know, he was popping and this right. you know, kind of like what Madison was been doing for sure. So there's another backfield Curtis that uh, we're seeing a big jump in. This is one near and dear to your heart. There's a player, mm. Jerome Ford, who I was a pretty big fan of coming out of school. He has moved up more than 30 spots in the last 30 days. Of course, Nick Chubb is still there, but behind him, you no longer have Kareem Hunt. From what I am hearing, it looks like Ford is the clear cut number two in that backfield. I'm not sure that there's significant competition for that number two no. role behind him. What are your thoughts on how you see this? working out uh is there a role for ford there that could be useful in fantasy in 2023 yeah i mean as long as the adp doesn't get out of control right i mean you know he's still going pretty late um even after this 30.9 uh pick rise in daily adp over the past month uh and again i'm, I'm referencing the ffpc risers and followers from their uh, best ball tourney right now you know, he's still going outside the the top 150 you know, you're talking about like a 13th rounder. I don't know that I want to get too much higher there. Uh, I'm not off of them at this price. So the context with the Cleveland offense and how they've divided the touches, I mean, last year was the first year that we really saw Kareem Hunt kind of fall off from an efficiency standpoint. Sure. He was such a, you know, he was such an awesome one B option uh, and the one, two punch with Chubb for, you know, those first couple seasons in Cleveland, but you know, he really, really tailed off. And even though, you know, I guess even with that um, being said, he still earned 123 rushing attempts and 44 targets. Now, I mean, Chubb had 302 carries, 37 targets. I mean, just how many more touches do you really think, you know, he would actually get? I mean, the Browns rode him pretty hard. You know, he's getting into his mid to, to late 20s at this point. They are entering kind of a, you know, a two to three year win now window with the Watson contract. So, I mean, I think Chubb is going to get Derrick Henry-ish type treatment, but he never really has put the receiving game together. That being said, I mean, Jerome Ford wasn't exactly like a prolific receiver in college. We didn't really see a lot of him in the NFL last year. He did have 21 receptions for 220 receiving yards, a 10.5 average his final year at Cincinnati. Um, and just for those of you that aren't as familiar with Ford, you know, he ended up at Cincinnati. He was originally an Alabama recruit. He was really highly touted out of high school. 
um, you know, ended up, you know, uh, Crimson Tide for the first few seasons. So it's a former, you know, pretty high pedigree type player uh, that just hasn't really got the big run yet. I mean, behind Chubb, that's a good spot, man. It's hard to think that he wouldn't have 100 touches. Um, I'm not sure if he only gets 100 touches, if he's worth this 12, you know, round 12, round 13 type investment here. But geez, if Chubb were to go down, I, I mean, I don't know how Ford in this offense, you know, wouldn't be at minimum a low end RB two, and he's just going so he's just going so late. Considering there there would really be no competition for the touches behind him, so I, I think this is a little bit different of a situation than the Ty Chandler situation. Um, if you're going to kind of compare these two backfields, you know, Ford's priced. Um, you know, about three rounds higher right now. But I think there's probably asymmetric upside for what Ford would get in Cleveland, a team that we know, um, you know, likes to have a little bit more balance, a team that's good, a team that has a strong defense and is going to, that's going to keep them in a lot of games. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Ford was probably a, a, a better prospect than Chandler too, if we're comparing the two directly. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that the the key thing I focus on here about a guy like Ford is this is a team where I can see him having, I guess maybe you call it like low-level usability week to week. Mike ha- might have a game here and there where he could pick up a couple of big scores. And then the upside, you know, if the team does have to lean on him more, is certainly there. So hopefully that ADP doesn't rise up too much higher, but he certainly is a name that I want to make sure yeah. I'm at least... Uh, getting on enough of my best ball teams and I'm matching, you know, the expectation that you would have uh, across your portfolio for a player at his ADP. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another player here, Curtis, in a backfield with a couple of players, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, rising 27.7 spots across the last 30 days. Before we started recording, we took a step back trying to determine exactly what it was that happened last year Uh, because Edwards-Alaire did open the year really hot. He was... A RB1 in three of the first four weeks went for 15 or more points in all of those games. Then week five hits, and it was just downhill from there. 
Uh, so he started off really hot playing in that Kansas City offense. We see Isaiah Pacheco emerge. Jarek McKinnon gets involved more as a wide receiver. Edward Zolaire suffers an injury. I think we said it was in week 11 and then kind of disappears. So I have a two-part question for you here. What do you think is going on with that rise in ADP? And do you think it's worth paying any attention to CEH at this point, given that we saw two backs ahead of him be pretty successful last year and it looks like they're reprising those roles? Yeah, it's pretty difficult. I'm actually not sure exactly what's driving it. Um, you know, to have this sustained, um, you know, rise, most of the rise occurred in the, you know, uh, three and four weeks ago, but he's still kind of been going up about another half round over the past two weeks. Um, you know, the context here is the chiefs did resign Jarek McKinnon, you know, McKinnon is the direct competition for the role that, you know, Edwards Allaire would have as the receiving compliment to Pacheco, the banger. So, you know, even if you were going to make the case that, um, you know, if you were going to make the case that, you know, the Chiefs are still unsettled at wide receiver um, and it looks like, you know, things have kind of cooled off on the DeAndre Hopkins hype and are they really going to just roll out there with Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore, uh, you know, and, and Rasheed Rice? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. And if that was the case, you could say, all right, well, hey, the backfield's going to have a higher target market share. All right, McKinnon's the, you know, arbitrage play on, or uh, Edwards Lair is now the the arbitrage play on McKinnon, but I, you know, it's just difficult, man. I mean, he's been the same player. Uh, if you, he's been remarkably consistent in terms of his per touch efficiency since he came into the league. I mean, he's averaged either four point three or four point four yards per attempt uh, from a rushing perspective each season. He scored either three or four rushing touchdowns each season. He's played between ten and thirteen games each season never playing a full uh, slate of games. Um, and, you know, he's got a three-season average of, you know, 8.0 yards per reception, um, never being, you know, more than about a yard and a half apart uh, over the course of those three seasons. So it's just, you know, this one's a little bit more difficult for me. Um, yes, it's it's definitely it's definitely an unsettled backfield behind Pacheco, but Reed has just not consolidated the work. Um, the, the the one thing that could change the way the Chiefs use the running backs, where it might make sense to still make some bets on Edwards Hilaire to emerge, is Eric Bieniemy's not in town. Right. And Eric Bieniemy, you know, even though this is Reed's offensive blueprint, uh, Bieniemy has had a little bit of um, more control in recent years of that offense. Eric Bieniemy was running back himself and was very involved in and in how the team deployed its running backs over the past couple seasons. So in some ways I could see an argument that it's a clean slate for the entire running back room with being in me out of town. I almost kind of like just getting Edward Zillaire for free in dynasty where I'm not counting on him to produce points for me rather than this best ball uh, play here. But, you know, I would say, you know, it's worth monitoring the chiefs beat reports, um, you know, this summer to see if there's any fire behind this smoke. Right. So I, I think that there's really maybe two factors going on. And like you, I don't have a super compelling theory as to something specific that is driving this increase. I guess it just might be the fact that this is still a team that's going to be one of the best in the league. And then there's a thought because we are looking at tournaments that perhaps by taking CH, you get a little bit of a differentiation if something does happen and he does hit capturing 
that upside. I'm still playing this backfield uh, as if it's going to look more like it did towards the end of last year than expecting any changes. Um, as a result of that, uh, I can't really afford any of them to creep up too much more in comparison to where they are. I will say Jarek McKinnon, I probably have the highest exposure to in my best ball teams of those backs right now. All right. You mentioned Tank Bigsby, I believe, when we were talking about Travis Etienne. Yeah. I think it was yeah. this week. We have seen a, what is that? Is that a 25, 26, somewhere in that range rise in his ADP across the last 30 days? You were making a little bit of a case for Bigsby as a result of that. Uh, you know, do you think it was just your your hot take here on Bigsby that pushed up the ADP? I mean, it probably didn't hurt. It's been a it's been a slow and steady rise. There's no sharp uh, uptick uh, after our last episode, um, but it definitely <laughs> seems like maybe there's a couple more fanboys that are taking him two or three rounds earlier than he had been going. Uh, standard deviation seems to be. Um, you know, pretty wide over the past month. So I think people are still figuring Bigsby and that Jacksonville um, backfield out a little bit. You know, we're not really trying to drive Tank's ADP up because, you know, we like this play. But, you know, the more you talk about him, you know, that's a risk you run. Um, you know, the Jacksonville offense, this is one, you know, just really feels like, you know, the Bengals a couple years ago, like, are they right on the precipice of becoming the next elite offense um, with all of these pieces, Trevor Lawrence coming into his own, um, especially, you know, you've made the argument that really that urban Meyer year was kind of a punt for everybody, yep. you know, so now we're really stabilizing under this new regime. We've got all this talent. Calvin Ridley, you know, is now in town on top of the other, uh, you know, surrounding weapons they had, they re-signed Evan Ingram. And this Jacksonville offense is probably one, Dave, we need to zoom in on in right. general, maybe next week. I know you've been doing your projections, so that'll be fun. Um, you know, if we look at ETN, you know, he averaged, you know, five yards carry last year, 220 attempts, 45 targets. Um, James Robinson had 81 rushing attempts, uh, just 11 targets, obviously not known uh, for that part of his game. Two other running backs, though, did have other more than 25 targets. You know, Jermichael Hasty had 26, Jamal Agnew had 30. You know, so all in all, you know, there was over 100 targets um, doled out to the running backs on this squad, and ETN had less than a 50% target market share. So if Bigsby's good enough that he can consolidate, you know, all of the backup running back work um, as a receiver, which is an area where he does have some, um, some ability and, you know, all of the early reports are that they are, you know, trying to maximize that in, in mini camps, you know, there's something to it. I mean... You know, there's uh, 67 targets that went to running backs not named ETN in Jacksonville last year. And, you know, there's, you know, 81 and 46 is 127. I mean, 139, 151 carries to non-ETN running backs. So there's something to be said for a, a legitimate 1B role in an offense that could take a mega step forward. So, you know if we're kind of thinking about all of these secondary options here, you know, Madison really being a primary option, but these other backs that we've talked about in terms of the risers and fallers, I mean, to me, Bigsby's the the most interesting one because I think there is a true 
1B role for a player that has a good college profile from a big program um, produced at an early age in college and has a skill set that I think is complementary enough to, to earn, you know, real touch share um, opposing Travis Etienne. And, and like I said, I mean, I think there's a non-zero chance that Bigsby's as good um, or potentially even better than, than Etienne. I know he's not coming into the NFL with quite the fanfare, uh, not quite the draft capital, but, you know, I think this is a good back. And so, you know, I like this. He's actually going right around, you know, and, and before his rise, he was going right around that Jerome Ford range, and he's he's risen about a round and a half above that. You're going to pay a late 11th round pick typically for Bigsby on the FFPC right now. Um, and that's not too far off of his range and underdog as well. Um, you know, I, I like this play, Dave. I, I really think if if the Jags take a step forward, um, there's enough meat on the bone for for two backs there. So this is one where I have trouble getting on board with many of the things that you just said, especially oh you, you love ETN, don't you? Well, it's not so much is that, that the I, issue. Is well, that the issue? What's the issue? Cause we don't disagree often. I'm curious. I'm, yeah, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm just going to listen. Yep. With so, an open mind. so there, there's a couple of things going on here. I think that the, the void in talent between ETN and Bigsby is more, a lot more significant than I think that you do. Um, I think that's that's one of the driving forces of this to me. I think that when you go back in, well, when when ETN was coming out, and you know we do have some new information, but I don't think it, it changes that much for me right now. And you look at the boxes that we need players to check to be those workhorse, high scoring profile type of guys. ETN was one of the best prospects I've seen in that. In a long time of doing that exercise. Bigsby did not perform very well in any of those key components. On top of that, we do need to acknowledge that there were a lot of, a lot of targets to running backs last year. Uh, in my opinion though, and we'll have to dig into this next week. Cause I really do want to run through Jacksonville. If I am looking at the cast of players that they have there this year and working out where their targets can go, I have a hard time getting Bigsby to a number of targets that really counts as much. Um, a reason being, mm. I think that ETN still needs to be involved in the receiving game. Then when you consider the fact that you have Kirk, who's probably going to go over 20% of the targets, you have Ridley, who should be approaching that. Zay Jones last year was at a very high amount. I still think we see him at 15. And then there's a tight end that should be somewhere around 16. You don't really have... Uh, eight, nine percent of the targets that you can throw throw his way, even for a one B role. So obviously you can't just rely on the projections and what have you. But to me, it creates a picture where it's hard for me to see him uh, as becoming this usable player. Now, perhaps at the ADP he's at, he it's still okay. Uh, but I'm just I'm not really getting on board with Tank Bigsby. Mm. Yeah. In, in my head, I kind of just see, I mean, rather than it being Kirk and Jones um, with their 133 targets and 121 targets, I see those targets being doled out to Kirk yep. and Ridley, to your point. I think Jones bumps down to that, Zay Jones rather, bumps down to that Marvin Jones level around that 80 targets. Yep. 
I mean, and even if Ingram reprises his 98 targets, the argument that I'm making for Bigsby is all he has to do is consolidate the work from James Robinson, Jamichael Hasty, and Jamal Agnew. I mean, because because they 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 basically dished the RB two rollout to three different players last yeah. year. If if the, it really becomes you know one A one B situation, you know we were just talking about Cleveland in the last couple of years. You know before 2022, kind of what was going on with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. If you look at it that way. Um, where it's two guys getting the work, even if there's a clear, you know, alpha, you know, there's still plenty there. Um, so that, that that's kind of my uh, take on this. And yeah. then, you know, we saw, um, you know, we, we saw ETN get 220 attempts uh, and 45 targets as the leader. You know, if he were to get injured, I mean, Bigsby would have, you know, he would just, probably get it all. I mean, I think even if you want to say ETN's a lot better than Bigsby, I think Bigsby's a lot better than, you know, hasty. So, you know, how, how you know, this is interesting. I I really think we should zoom in on the Jags offense because, you know, over the years we've, we've identified um, the bills when they were going to break out and the Bengals when they were going to break out. And if you can find these offenses and really just want exposure to kind of all the pieces and so it would be, I think it would behoove us to, to find a unified take on where we're cool yep. taking Bigsby. Um, I don't like being out of alignment with you, but I'm also kind of dug in here that I think he can be a legitimate too. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that's, that's probably more for, I think, for next week. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the final way to summarize this, I think, and we'll have to talk about this because I think the core of it is, I guess I see the RB2 role there this year really changing and really shrinking um, where that might be kind of what we have to th- talk a little bit more about. Um, yeah, man. I mean, you're, you're, yeah, you're putting, you're going to put ETN up there and like, yeah. well, Pollard, it's not even pa- Pollard territory. No, yeah. no, 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 so no, no, that, no. That's what, that's what's happening. No, no, no. There, I so. only have, yeah. I only have ETN actually in my mind around like 50 to 55% of the rushing attempts, 9% of the targets. It's just that I don't, so I could still see Bigsby around like a hundred rushing attempts. I just don't see him getting to even like 30 targets, which I know doesn't really jive with what you would see when you look at the way things went last year. I'm just expecting Mm. a different distribution. So we'll we'll dig into that more. Um, I will say, I also am now getting a little bit uncomfortable with where I am on Bigsby. <laughs> well, because yeah. I think what yeah. we have found is yeah. over the years when there's when there are players that we both seem to align on that we really like, it has worked out pretty well. Um, and Bigsby feels like a guy that you're a big fan of this year, so I'm I'm hoping we can find you know some type of medium somewhere and make better sense of it. But yeah, we'll, man. We'll talk you remember you go back to you go back to the pre NFL draft, uh, you know, volume one of our rookie guide, you know, this year, you know, I had Bigsby, I think in my top eight, um, you he know, was actually the first player, one of the draft. He might've yeah. been the first player that we, we started working on the profile for actually. Yeah. You, you, you may, you may be correct. I, I, I think I was arguing for, uh, on the multiplayer cover, um, for giving him some cover runs. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, Hey, sec early production, uh, school with a proud running back history. You know, we're not scouting the helmet here necessarily, but we can scout the conference with day two running backs. We had early production. I think there's a 
you know, even if they don't have, you know, huge, huge touch shares, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of examples of, you know, Alabama, you know, Auburn, Florida, uh, Ole Miss, you know, tight backs um, being relevant in the NFL, even if they're not round one guys who had 350 touches their final year of college. So um, we, we can, we have all summer to talk about Bigsby, but you know, I, I think it's fun to zoom in on the risers and fallers. It is one of the great tools that we have um, to see what's going on in best ball drafts. Make sure that you don't get take lock on players, you know, by and large, I mean, honestly, community that's drafting in tournaments this early, you know, there is a wisdom in the community approach to, to these players. Um, and, you know, so if the community is rising on a player, um, you know, it's, it's worth checking your own assumptions and making sure that, you know, you still believe what, what you believed uh, before or to make sure that you're not missing on a player that, that you should have. So you can go to rotoviz.com, check out our FFPC ADP or our underdog ADP best ball tools. Just click over on the risers and fallers tab. You can sort by every position, get the top five. You can sort by the number of days. So you can see who's rising and falling over the last week, the last month, the last six weeks, whatever you want to do. You can change it to tournament or single, you know, standalone type drafts. I mean, it's a really powerful tool, tons of data in there. And, um, you know, Dave and I will be looking at this thing over the next couple of weeks as we ramp up our own volume across all the great best ball content uh, or contests from our partners uh, at FFPC and Underdog. We will be back next week to talk more uh, risers and followers at other positions and evidently the Jags offense. Thank you for listening to the RotoViz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.